When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, as you can see, mate, we've got a bit of a rebrand on, uh, on yeah. YouTube looking good, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it as well. Like, it, there's lots of new things happening, so it feels like it's it's in um, in keeping with traditions. But yeah, very smart. Yeah, it feels like a fresh start for us. And uh, ahead of the new season, Liverpool look like they're on the verge of making a new sign. And this one caught us all off guard. I'm, I'm certain of that one. Um, for those who aren't aware, Liverpool on the verge of signing, hang on, I've completely forgot his first name. Wataru. <laughs> uh, Wataru Endo, yeah, from uh, Stuttgart, Japanese international. I think that's 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 the obvious place to start. It could end up being the Endo podcast, to be honest, by the time we, we get done with this chat. Uh, really interesting one. But Mo, the first question, the big question, was you aware of him? Yes. Yes, I was aware of him. I mean, okay. I, I think the, the fair thing about it is that People who watch Bundesliga a lot, particularly people in England who have subscriptions to Bundesliga, Stuttgart aren't on a lot. So you're not going to get to see them a lot unless they're playing one of the big teams. And when they're playing one of the big teams, it's very rare that someone from a team like Stuttgart is going to stand out. But he generally did. And the reason that he stood out to me is because he was all over the place. Like his name was being mentioned in commentary pretty much every minute because he was doing something. He was involving himself in the play somehow. So that kind of sticks out. And yeah, he's very much the best player on, let's face it, a pretty bad team. So I was aware of his game in general. Obviously, like I said, we don't see him a lot. So it's not like I'm an expert on him week to week, how the fluctuations are. But I've done my research, as we always do. And... I do listen to the people who probably have paid a lot more attention to him. And in terms of where he is as a player, there's lots of interesting things about it. But taking a step back from his abilities, I think just the profile of the player is the intriguing part of this for me, because I think there's two very distinct readings of it. There's a positive and a negative reading of it. Let's deal with the negative first. Obviously, there are lots of people who have never heard of him and never seen him play or clearly forgot about the World Cup. Uh, and so that's always a negative because he's not been talked about. So clearly he mustn't be good. He's not played in the Champions League. I've never seen him. So he can't be that much cop because no one else is in for it. 
Then there's the age factor. Then there's the fact that, as I said, he plays for a team that nearly got relegated pretty much both seasons they've been in the Bundesliga. And you add all those things up and you think, well, why on earth are we going for someone like him? But then you have the other reading of the situation where obviously the fee comes into it. It's a guy who's captained Stuttgart for a couple of years now. He's a Japanese international. Uh, he's very experienced. We've lost a lot of experience from our midfield. I know we said that that was kind of what we wanted, but we do still need some players in their prime to be able to come in straight away. He fits under that bill. We were wondering what Jörg Schmadke was doing. Apparently, this is something where his expertise is all over it because he's some, someone who he would have known would have been available and around the kind of fee that it would have taken to get him. So he's kind of a smart signing in terms of he's going to be a squad player. But I think the proof of the pudding in terms of the profile and whether it be good or bad is whether this is the only signing. If this is someone to bolster the squad, then I think it's a different reading of it than if he is the only midfielder we signed this summer. Yeah, it's a, a very interesting one. Um, from my perspective, in terms of whether I, I was aware of him, yes and no. Um, I have never seen him play a single club minute, mm-hmm. but I did see him in the World Cup, and that was when that was when he first came on my radar. I watched quite a bit of Japan, and he was a point, I think, I want to say it was against Germany, where he was kind of really shining on the pitch and really making his presence known. And I remember, I distinctly remember, Finding out his name and searching him on FB Ref, and when he when he came up on FB Ref, mate, and straight away I saw that he was twenty nine. So I just exited the page immediately, and that was it. That was that was the end of my analysis at the time. But yeah, that about, that about six months or whatever that was ago, I think it might have been November actually. That was when he he first popped on my radar, and I thought like he's a he's a good little player. Um, if you'd have said to me at the time that inside a year he will be at Anfield, I would have probably fell off my seat or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have saw that one coming. But yeah, in terms of like the, the player that he is, um, obviously we we can kind of provide insight into that because the tactical elements of his game, technical data and all that sort of stuff. But aside from that, he, he, he seems to get really good praise when it comes to the intangibles that we obviously can't provide insight on. That comes direct from the people who play with him and, and who know him and things like that. And by all accounts, he is, he's got all of the, all of those Jordan Henderson qualities, essentially. Um, works really hard. He's got an engine forever, committed, uh, leader, all that sort of stuff, which is which is nice. My only concern with that is it, it's never really that much of a good sign when you link with a player and the overwhelming headline is works dead hard. You know what I mean? Because that, that would have been a tag attached to Jordan Henderson and James yeah. Milner at the end of their Liverpool careers. And the reason that was their primary tag was because on the actual pitch, they they were upgradable, essentially. Yeah, no, I get that. And I, I think that it's just about, when you're particularly speaking in English circles, these are the kind of things that are prioritised maybe more than technical ability. And then you factor in the fact of what people have seen to be a Jurgen Klopp midfield. And then you add that to the fact of the kind of characteristics that this midfield is currently missing. And you can kind of understand why people want to accentuate those parts of it. But that isn't all. 
to his game. He does have technical ability. He is able to see a pass. His progressive passing numbers per 90 are actually really good. And he, towards the end of the season, when Stuttgart really needed him, he was able to go on a little run of goals and assists. I think it was something like three goals and four assists in the last 10 games of the season. So he is able to produce. Um, so again, like I say, sometimes with players like this, it can be depend on who's talking as to which bits they decide to prioritise. But even within the numbers, it's, um, it can be a little bit misleading sometimes because you can look at some things and say, well, he's doing a lot of this. But then I think I've said this on other shows, you've got to think about the rest of the midfield, who else is playing alongside him and who else is going to be maybe taking up some of that role and all those kind of things. But the fascinating part for me, I think the hardest part for him is going to be that he hasn't really played for a team that has dominated the ball as we will. I think that will be the hardest transition. Yeah, yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, you've you've just touched on the numbers element there. I was going to say that a little bit, but I'll, I might, <laughs> as well just, might as well just do it now. Um, so he's a, a really interesting player to kind of deconstruct using the numbers, actually, because from what I've seen since the, the news came out, everyone's kind of looking at it and thinking, right, I haven't heard of him. So he must be a kind of money ball gem who's an absolute monster in the numbers. He's not really for me. I I don't I don't see that at all. I I, I want to see it, but I, I don't. He looks like an aerial monster, to be fair to him. Uh, never loses a battle in the air by the looks of it, even though he's about five ten. Yeah. Um, that's that's what without doubt is most is most prominent like quality, um, in the numbers at least. Um, he does regain the ball for you. He's not like you know a, a passenger or anything like that. He's that kind of player. But it's not like he's not he's nowhere near an outlier or anything like that. And I've seen some like I've just tweeted this morning. On the on the back of the news, uh where is it? On the back of the news, what, what a popular like um social media stats kind of yeah, I can't whatever you want to call it, tweeted that like he since the start of twenty twenty and twenty one, he's posted the most possession won in the Bundesliga in the defensive third, the most aerials won. The most clearances, the most headed clearances, the second most touches, the second most completed passes, um, second most possession one in the middle third, and the second most tackles. Now that that makes him sound amazing, and I think I I felt the need to quickly kind of like that he's not he's he's not that good because the reason he looks he sounds so good in those numbers is because they're, they're all totals, and he's he's always on the pitch. Like over the past three seasons, based on that period that I've just mentioned, he's played more minutes than anybody in Germany. He's missed three Bundesliga. He, he started in all but three Bundesliga games over over the course of the last three seasons. So that's why he looks really, really active in, in your totals and that. But on a pay 90 basis, um, it just looks kind of middle of the road to me. Uh, not bad, not good. Just kind of what he is really you know a 30 year old 19 uh, 16 million pound um stopgap edition i suppose analyzing anfield on the blood red channel yeah and that's why i said it makes a difference where he lies within the midfield makeup because essentially you you mentioned and uh, jordan henderson there uh, i've seen a lot of people mention james milner again because of his um basically his style of being 
uh, efficient, but also um, the stamina in his game and the running stats, which although have admittedly started to taper off as in the last couple of years. Yeah, so you see all of those things and you see the comparison within the team. And if he is going to be taking the Milner role, because let's face it, John Henson didn't want to do it, did he? <laughs> and, and, and the fact of the matter is we still need someone to do the James Milner role because need I remind you James Milner made 43 appearances for Liverpool in 2023 2022-23 that's and yes you can talk about how many minutes those appearances were for that's 43 times Klopp called him from the bench we need Milner and yeah. so that's not an insignificant number and then when you add in the fact that obviously Fabinho and Henson have gone as well uh, with some of the midfielders we've got are still adapting to roles. Some of them are still either coming back from injury or still picking up little injuries here and there. So, again, if he is part of a larger squad, i.e. if he is one of two uh, midfield signings this summer with a potential third in Andre to come in January, then I think it's a very different picture than if it's this guy and maybe Stefan Bajsetic are going to be sharing with the sixth role for the for the foreseeable. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think a lot of it is, in terms of how happy we are with the transfer, it's difficult to say that at the minute, just without knowing who else Liverpool are planning on getting in, because it won't just be him. We might get another midfielder in, we might get another another defender in or whatever. Um, so it's difficult to t- kind of judge that at the minute. Um, you touched on his, his physical stuff there. His, his physical stuff has declined over the past couple of seasons. Uh, shout out Sam Maguire for that one, actually. He's, he's uh, <laughs> He's fed me the um <laughs> the kind of behind the scenes data on that one. And to be fair, you can capture some of the, the Bundesliga data in the public space anyway, regarding the physical stuff. Yeah. Um the physical stuff is generally private and you can't get hold of it. But with the Bundesliga, for example, it's widely accessible. But over the past three seasons, he's just physically across the board in terms of like covering distance and sprints and um speeds and all that. It's it's steadily dropped. What I would say on that, though, is that in that particular area, it has dropped from a very, very high level. So I yeah. think if you look um some of the other stats, in terms of ground covers in the whole Bundesliga last year, he was still in the top 10. So his numbers are getting worse, but they're not like through the floor at the moment. They are still, again, if you're asking him to start 25 games and play 40 like Milner, then you would expect him to be able to maintain that fitness and intensity for that. If you're asking him to do more, then you might start to see him struggle. Yeah, he could be the kind of player who, to be honest, obviously he's accustomed to playing literally, starting literally 33 Bundesliga games every season. So if, if he's in a position moving forward where he's starting half that amount, maybe that will benefit him physically as he's now 30 years old and stuff like that. But um I think that the main thing for me, I I I I would obviously be in a tricky situation to, to criticize this in any way. Because over the past week, especially on, on any of the kind of channels that I've appeared on, I've massively stressed that Liverpool have a team of forwards right now. And all we need. I literally said these I think my exact words the other day was uh Liverpool need someone who has no interest in his name being up in lights. Someone yeah. who literally doesn't want any credit. Do you remember um, <laughs> a few years ago, uh, France won the World Cup and um, 
Pogba tried to give the the World Cup trophy to Kante. Yeah, Kante had all of it, mate, for literally half a second and wanted to give it to somebody else. Yeah, I think Liverpool looking at the squad at the minute, we need some of them who are just going to do the absolute basics. Firefighters have been calling them, regain the ball for the team, and mm. present the likes of Trent and Salah with a platform to go and win us the game essentially. And to be fair, I mean, Endo is certainly that profile wise. He's, he, he is kind of like a self sacrificing. If it feels like you've just been mentioning Milner there and, and Henderson maybe not wanting to be the new Milner and stuff, it feels like Klopp's kind of getting in a bit of a lieutenant in a way when it comes to this sign. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think another, another thing with that Kante thing as well, um, I remember watching recently Leicester City um, when they did their trophy lift and it was exactly the same thing. Like he was the last one of all the players yeah. to lift the trophy and they basically had to push him into it because for him, the, the 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 trophy is not really the reward. It's the the, the game itself is a reward, and being able to call yourself a winner and enjoying it with your teammates. And I think when you think about the what a player's enthusiasm can be to certain roles, you've got to look again that this is a guy who probably wasn't expecting at this point in his career to come to a team like Liverpool. So you expect that whatever role he's given, he's going to gleefully take and. You're right. I think the, the, the old term is piano carriers. We do need a lot of those. And also, we need a lot of signings that we used to be able to do, the kind of ones where you do scratch your head a bit at the beginning, but then by the end of the season, suddenly they become an integral part of the group. And I'm thinking of Andy Robertson. I'm thinking of even Joel Matip, uh, maybe even Gini Wijnaldum, although he was a little bit of a more pricey and he had kind of shown himself in the Premier League. These were weren't players who we thought everybody was going to get after, but they ended up being really good for us. And you look at a signing like Manuel Kanji from Man City last season, very near the end of the window, kind of no one, not very much fanfare. No one else was after him. Literally Dortmund were trying to get rid of him. And then look at his influence on the team and look at where he is now. He's pretty much starting at the game. He started last night. And those are the kind of players that you need in a squad that at the moment I think we're lacking. And like you say, it's the Milner role, but it's also someone who's going to be able to make the rest of his teammates better. And I think to a certain extent, McAllister does that from an attacking point of view. And I think now Endo may be able to provide that from a more defensive platform. Yeah, I think, I think I've been kind of saying, I've been kind of thinking about it lately, as in like Liverpool are kind of, if you think of it as like a recipe, Liverpool are a, are a little bit too much salt at the minute, and we need, we need to add something to kind of make it taste better, essentially. Yeah. And that that kind of addition for me is a few of these piano carriers, a few of these players who are just, as I said, just not particularly Hollywood, not asked about, uh, not bothered about scoring or creating, um, just kind of want to do a job, functional, and um, contribute to the team really, and. Liverpool definitely need them. Obviously, we've been getting linked with a few of them. Um, the only thing I want to say on the end of stuff, though, I think what we do need to touch on, obviously, um, <laughs> it's a difficult one, really, because I don't want to downplay him or anything like that because he, he, he's coming in as a, as a specific kind of player. He's coming in to do a job and all that stuff. But the, the bottom line is, for me, at the same time, even if he is a good player and he's, and he's going to come in and help us and things like that and he's done well in the Bundesliga and... Stuttgart were looking to lose him and stuff. He's it, this is going to sound really simplistic, but he's he's still not that good, is he? 
Do you, do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like it's gonna sound really simple and really almost mean, but like we are talking about we are talking about Liverpool here, Mo, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but this goes back to exactly what I was just saying about Matip and about Robertson. Is in you could see that where they could do a job, but you were thinking that surely there's got to be someone better than them out there to do a job for us for Liverpool. And you look at it now with Andy Robertson. Is there anyone out on the market? I, I honestly don't remember the, the left back market at that time. I think Brian Bertrand was someone who we were also interested in. Uh, I feel like we picked right over those two. But it's, it's not always about the guys who look like world beaters coming in the door, it's about the guys who become world beaters within the but, system. But, but he's, he's 30. Yes, he's 30. And we might only need him for two seasons. But I think if you look at the next two seasons, again, I said, we we knew that our midfield was aging. We knew that they needed replacing. But we also said a lot last season, we didn't have anyone, any midfielders in the prime years. And the thing with Mack and Zobersley is that they're both still quite young. So you do need someone with a calm head further up the pitch than Virgil. And... I think, again, this is one of those things, you, you kind of hit on it earlier on when you were saying, it's like you have to view him within that specific uh, bracket of doing this specific job. I do think that we've got ourselves into this position where we're looking at a guy like Endo. I do think if we'd have been more proactive at the start of the window, we could have found someone else who isn't 30, who does have a lot of those same qualities, who could do the same job. But we haven't. I think that rather looking at what we could have and should have done, I think this is one of those opportunities to be able to potentially embrace what we do have. Now, don't get me wrong. I could be wrong about all this. This is my optimistic reading of situations, as you guys should become accustomed to now. <laughs> I'm always going to have an optimistic reading of most situations. But this is the point. Optimism is up. not allowed on this podcast. <laughs> no, but it's not, it's not, it's not um, pie-in-the-sky optimism. It's based yeah. on as much as based on facts as we can. The fact of being that these are the kind of signings that I was saying that we needed alongside some of the others. And like I say, I do think that any kind of fears or reservations we might have about him, if we then go and by the time next time we do a show, we've also added a check to Corey, for example, to him, then suddenly it looks very different. Field on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I think one 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 thing that will benefit us with is um, it, it gives us a bit of negotiating power at least because now we have we don't literally have no number six. We, we you know we we would have at least a player there who's an option. Um, I know we tried to play McAllister there, but and we tested Curtis Jones in preseason, but. To get in Endo, who who is a, a legitimate option there, at least if now we were going to go to Palace and say, right, Sheikh Dekore, at least we would have a bit more of a realistic ground to say to them, we will walk away if you take the mech, essentially. Whereas beforehand, without Endo in the building, to go and say that and then say we're going to walk away, Palace would just probably be like, well, you're probably not going to walk away because like, you haven't got any old midfielder. So... Um, so I think it gives us some bargaining power in that sense, and um, I think it's also worth noting as well that he's he's 
quite versatile. Um, I think he predominantly holds the midfield, but he, he as part of a, a midfield three, he's also got experience. I think on the on the right of a three, I think it is might be the left to be honest, but he, he's got experience not just as the the holding player, but also right. on the on the sides. And uh, I think he's also played as a centre half in his career as well, which is quite curious considering he's only five ten. But uh, as we said before, he's he's very good in the air, like. Well, exactly, and I think that is. I mean, obviously, there's the whole Lisandro Martinez question when we talk about height and centre backs, and he's definitely taller than him. Uh, um, but you're right; like, even considering he has played a considerable amount of time at centre back, you look at his aerial numbers across, and it doesn't deviate. So even when he's fighting with strikers rather than midfield players, he's still able to get win more than his fair share. So that's a good sign. But yeah, his his versatility in terms of system is really interesting because. Like Stuttgart do change it up a bit, like, and he's able to kind of start on the right or on the left. So if they play double pivot, for example, then he does end up on the left. But sometimes they'll go in a four-one-four-one, and he'll be out wide. And sometimes he'll be paired with um, Milio, who's more of an attacking-minded central midfielder. And sometimes he's alongside Kalazor, who's another defensive kind of minded guy. So they really do have tactical flexibility and. That kind of gives me another um, another good feeling because we still are at the early stages of this formation and we still don't know whether or not it's going to be fully successful or not. So if we get to a point, God forbid, halfway through the season where we're having to junk it, then he, I would be confident that he'd be able to run the ones who can still adapt to whatever new thing he's been thrown at. So... Yeah, versatility, I think, is important. What I hope isn't happening is that, oh, well, we've got another centre-back option now, so we don't need to go and buy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope that as well. I, I, to be honest, <laughs> I, 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 I have no interest in seeing them at centre-half, personally. Um, no. I think we, we, we need them to play as a designated holding midfielder, really. Um, a defensive-minded midfielder who's actually going to tip the scales back in favour of the the mid-ground to balance rather than just leaning so heavily towards the attack. Um, but to be honest, it is, it is a surprising transfer. Like, even if we wanted this kind of player, like a, a bit more of an older head who comes in for a bit of a reduced price, like, if you think of some of the older heads out there that are kind of available at the minute, you know, you've got like a, you've got an Amrabat who we've touched on a few times. You've even got someone like Hoiberg on the market, mate, who's, who's like, I think Hoiberg's 28. And he's, I think Spurs won 30 million for him at the minute. Inter Milan just bid 25 and didn't get him for that. I think they won 30. But Hoiberg's like a real vocal player who's used to the higher level and um, very tactical and that and not always available, holding midfielder. But we've we've gone on and got um, Endo in, who's, who, who was completely off everyone's radar, really. It's, it does feel very much like a Spadke. Uh, sign and it, it, I'd be amazed if this hasn't come from him and I think if he were in the building I'd be very surprised if we were exploring this um, yeah, which makes it interesting again It does um, again it's funny because a lot of the time in this transfer window particularly in the last couple of weeks every time there's been we've tried to get any kind of consensus on what's going on with Liverpool or what we need to do then it completely flips and we do the complete opposite. And so there was all that talk about, well, your Schmeck has only done two release clauses. What has he done? Why is he there? He's not going to last very long. 
this is something that he's literally stuck his neck out for. So yeah, this is yeah. my I hear it. And um, the interesting thing for me as well is that he would have known that Freiburg had tried to get Endo earlier on in the window and failed because Stuttgart were absolutely adamant that they weren't going to let him go because he's their best player, he's their captain. And they struggled to avoid relegation last two seasons. So they were like, we can't get rid of our best player unless there was something really, really insane. But then that's that kind of word scared a lot of people because of the transfer window we're in. But yeah, yeah. Insane for Stuttgart and Einstein insane are clearly not the same. So <laughs> yeah, and he would have, and he would have, and he would have known that. So yeah, yeah. Again, it's when you're going further down your list, your board of um um targets then there's going to be some compromise involved. And it would be, it sounds like to me, obviously this is conjecture, but Schmadke would know the player well. He would know the ease of dealing with Stuttgart and the potential fee involved. So as close as you can get to some guarantees is probably why they went for him. And also, if you think about it, if it doesn't go well, then there isn't really much damage. Obviously, yeah. the fee is low. Um, again, the contracts will be interesting to see the length of contracts, but I suspect that there'll be something with it's a certain amount and then there's a year option on the end to see where we are. And yeah, I feel like it can be a very... Um, a deal with a lot, not a lot of downside and a lot of upside. Yeah, I think it kind of captures um, the the what seems to be a bit of a change in nature in, in Liverpool's recruitment department, really, because I think previous seasons, I think to fill this void, if we didn't want to spend much and we wanted to to do it differently or whatever, it probably would have been some kind of defensive numbers freak who who just we would have got from somewhere lower and um, kind of addressed it in a bit of a money ball way, if you want, whereas this, for me, I, I don't think this has been anything to do with numbers. I think this has just been schmadke being well aware of Endo, recognising that he's on his last year in his contract and stuff and um and, and poaching him on essentially. But like I think generally the, the these kind of underrated players who win the ball a lot for you usually usually stand out. Like say, say for example, if, if you're gonna do this sort of thing a couple of seasons back, um a player who, who's always kind of shined to me as being really good at this, specifically winning the ball and being like a, a presence in the middle of the park is is Christian Norgard at um, Brentford um, really surprised the numbers at, at one stage of his career when it comes to like regaining the ball on that. And for example, he's he's twenty nine at the minute, got two years left on his contract, uh, over six for Premier League experience, only playing for Brentford, not on a massive wage. Um, but Liverpool have gone down the route of of Endo, and I think that's probably again due to Schmadger, and it could be the right move, but. Um, I think it's it's different now in terms of there's there's definitely I, f- I think there's definitely a slight difference when it comes to how Liverpool's recruitment department works now. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's I mean I'm because it's FSG still in charge. I'm still inclined to think whenever Liverpool get linked with a player, my first thought is always he must be a monster in the numbers. But more and more, especially with this one, I, I'm, I'm a bit like this is more of like a traditional scout signing where you've. We're aware of like an under an underrated player we've always liked, and and this is an opportunity to take a chance on him. Essentially, rather than spotting him as like this moneyball gem who's going to transform when he comes into your team. Yeah, and I think 
I don't know whether or not this is just me kind of clinging on to this, but when we were when Klopp was in his press conference around the time when the Caicedo deal was still in the works and the fee had been agreed, and uh, James Pierce asked him about his change of mind in terms of bidding hundred million pounds for a player when he famously said that he'd walk away if we did that. Yeah, and he said um, everything has changed. Am I happy about it? No. Do I have to accept it? Yes. And that was very telling, the way he said it and the fact that he said it. And if you kind of explode, explode that concept across everything we've seen in this transfer window, in terms of trying to buy players directly from South America, in terms of trying to buy a player like Casado, who was already all the way along the way with another team and who had, admittedly, a um, cloudy uh, agent situation, I think it's fair to say, with different people trying to be advisors. And then you'd look at someone like Endo, who's a lot older, no resale value, like you say, not a numbers monster. And you see Liverpool doing things differently. And you sense that maybe Klopp in his mind has thought, well, the the window that I knew and loved is no longer exists, or the way of doing things no longer exists, and we have to address it. So maybe all these things that I didn't want to do, I'm now going to start doing. Whether or not they're successful, we're going to have to wait and see. But like you say, it does feel like there's a general sea change, and that might have been the catalyst for it. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to just kind of think, like, you know, if, if Edwards was still overseeing Liverpool's business, would Liverpool be doing this move? And I think if you look at the summer as a whole, to be fair, I think Edwards would have done McAllister. I think Edwards would have done Sobosh like. Um, this one, I'm not sure. And I don't think Edwards would have bid over a hundred million for Casado. Um I have serious doubts he'd have bid fifty million for Lavia as well. Um so it's it's interesting just undergoing this change and I don't think it's I don't think it's great for Liverpool personally. I think FS I tweeted the other day, I think FSG's biggest strength initially, and one of the reasons why I've never overly criticized them is because despite the lack of funding when it comes to transfer targets, the kind of sport and expertise they installed behind the scenes in like this Liverpool front office essentially uh, was just packed full of expert decision makers who were just so sharp so ahead of the curve and uh, over the past like yeah they've all kind of um, left the club like a a couple of years back for example like I I was at a a football conference um, at, at Wembley might have been the one before Wembley, actually. It might have been Stanford Bridge. But I was sat directly behind Liverpool's team. Liverpool, Liverpool's whole team is in, in attendance. And I think, to be honest, that kind of captured uh, Liverpool's association with, with the numbers and all that sort of stuff. But I was sat behind Edwards. I was sat behind Ward, Ian Graham, David Woodfine. They were all there. All four of them have left uh, in the past 12 months. Um, and you left with Schmadker, who's essentially Klopp's mate. Uh, Klopp is still there, Linders is still there, Spearman, who was also at this conference, has replaced Graham. He's a great replacement. Um, but it's just, it's interesting, and you know, going back to this kind of Casado Lavia stuff, obviously that would have been the talking point of this episode. The kind of, <laughs> the fact that Chelsea ended up getting both if this transfer news hadn't broke. Um, I mean... Is it even worth me asking what you thought of all that? <laughs> I mean, we should cover it, I guess, really. Um, obviously, the Caicedo stuff is, it looks unseemly because it's played out in real time, blow by blow. 
But I do believe that there have been a lot of transfers in the past that had very similar characteristics that we just never knew about. And probably there's going to be plenty more in the future. So I don't necessarily blame Liverpool for trying. They'd obviously been given some kind of indication that it was worth trying from the players' camp. And if you listen to the way that Brighton speak about it, they were the dealings between Liverpool and Brighton seemed very amicable. Obviously, still over the McAllister and Milner deals, there was some good accord there. So that wasn't an issue. You can see why Liverpool thought they could go in there. But then as it turned out, um, either Caicedo's representatives or Chelsea themselves found a way to uh, convince him that Chelsea was the only place for him. And it's tough. When you swing for the fences like that way, you're not always going to make it. And the risk and reward is higher. So it leaves you feeling a little bit bad. And obviously, that has had a knock-on effect with the Lavia deal. There's been reports that have said that he felt like he was the second choice. Although, sidebar, what the hell do you think he is at Chelsea? They've literally <laughs> spent £100 million on two players to play in midfield, and currently they only play two in midfield. So, um, but in terms of the the way that we were snails pacing up towards their valuation and really didn't want, we weren't acting like we believed that this guy was worth it. And from Lavia's point of view, you can understand why he didn't think that Liverpool really valued him. But by that same token, I'm kind of inclined to agree with him. I do think that we were only interested in him up to a point and that our eyes were always on looking at other people. Like I said on the, the gutter a couple of days ago, I still don't think that the Ryan Gravenberg interest is dead. I It feels to me like he was still, of the guys who we are targeting this summer, he's still their top choice. And until something happens on him, I think they're always want to be in a position to be able to move on him. And paying more money than that for Lavia made that difficult. There's a lot of talk of Liverpool would trying to base their Lavia value on Stefan Bicetic, I think that might be a little bit of a red herring. It's the kind of thing you tell people because it sounds good. I think Graven Birch was the one. But we've ended up not getting either. And obviously Chelsea have got them both. So from the fact is that Chelsea have undoubtedly got stronger, that's hard and that's bad because we obviously want to finish above them. But until our spending is finished, we can't really assess how bad. Yeah, well, I, w- I would love to know the <clears throat> the kind of sequence of events that happened behind the scenes for us to bid three times for Lavia, and then out of nowhere, someone presses the red button and it sends in a £110 million pound for Casado, and we drop Lavia interest, and then we visited a couple of days later when we realised we're not getting Casado. I would love to just know what's what's happened there behind the scenes, because it does. this is, again, why I tweeted about FSG and Edwards and that. And I tweeted at the time that Edwards wouldn't have done this. I sound like a proper, a proper, uh, <laughs> yeah. like uh, Edwards uh, PR or something PR machine. But it's it's just more a case of like Liverpool just was, was so sharp, so efficient, and it, this felt a bit. There's a gang of lads in the room, and and, and we're a bit like, should we just what should we do it? We, you know, and it felt yeah. a bit like that. It felt a bit like just you know. I guess I guess scat- the problem. Scattergun, I think is the word. Scattergun's a good word for it. There's no, there's no denying that's the case. There's no denying that the situation around the sporting director between Edwards and I think, to be brutally honest, I think Ward's leaving 
awards departure has been more the catalyst for this kind of mess because as much as Edwards leaving was a blow and he was undoubtedly integral to a lot of what was good, the succession plan for him was still Julian Ward. And it looked initially that that was on track. It's only when he decided he didn't want to be there and then very soon after some of the others started, that was when we kind of precipitated all this. So there's a part of me also that feels like consistently referring back to the Edwards era isn't helpful. You're correct. You're 100% correct, but it isn't helpful. It, 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 it feels a bit uh, Gary Neville, doesn't it? Referring back to Ferguson. <laughs> <all the time. laughs> exactly. But simply because, like, I don't think he's coming back. And, I mean, it's, I have to say I don't think because he's not done anything since he left Liverpool, which does, I think, um, slightly more justify what he said when he left, that he just didn't want to be there anymore, rather than he was looking for someone else specifically. But... The fact of the matter is, is that he isn't at Liverpool anymore. They are doing things differently. Whether or not they come to a point in the future and say, the reason we're not successful is that we are still doing things differently and we need to try and move heaven and earth to bring him back, that may be the case. Or maybe find another disciple who thinks like him or the new version of him. But See, that, that, That's what I would want. That's, 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 why, I, that's why I mention it, because... Um... Like I'm well aware he's not coming back. I think my, my <laughs> thing is my thing is more. If you look at Brighton, for example, Brighton have lost an absolutely massive team over the past like couple of months, and pretty much all of them have gone to Chelsea. And whatever happens at Brighton, the next guy is just right there, and he's just installed. And there's no there's no disruption. So actually, this is how we operate. This is how yeah. we do it. And I think with Liverpool, that was initially the case a little bit. Like we we internally repl- replaced Edwards with Ward. We, we've internally replaced Crane with Spearman. You know, mm-hmm. things like that. And and a lot of the narrative at the time was like, yeah, Edwards is leaving, but Liverpool are going to be fine because we've got this internal structure established. It just feels a bit like, again, over the past 12 months, that, that structure has just completely fell apart. And FSG are basically looking up at Klopp and being like, what should we do? And Klopp's kind of steering the ship, admirably, to be fair. But I've never been much of a fan of like the all-seeing manager doing it on his own. Because even no. if he's very, very good at doing it on his own, what happens when he leaves? So I just don't get why the the initial kind of arrangements, the the blueprints of the organisation when Edward was there, like the hierarchy and that, has just been binned in favour of of. Klopp doing everything and, and hiring his mates and well, um, making decisions window by window almost, it looks like. I mean, maybe I'm being too critical, but... Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. No, no, I mean... The, the, the Casado-Lavia thing doesn't look good. The evidence allows us to make these conclusions. <clears throat> I always think that. So you might think it is a harsh reading of the situation and Klopp himself would probably agree, but based on the evidence we have in front of us, it's it's easy to come to that conclusion. I think the key, though, is that we still don't know the real reasons behind their departure. And I feel like those reasons might well also be reasons why we're seeing a sea change. Because if it was that there were people who weren't being listened to anymore or weren't being valued anymore, and that's why they left, then that would conclude that there would be more value or more priority 
in the scouting managerial kind of um, superiority. Um, I know, but we don't know for sure that, that is that. But going back to the previous point about trying to find the new Edwards, there's not necessarily that easy for a couple of reasons. One, everybody's doing it. Everybody wants one of those. And so if you're the best in that field, Liverpool is probably still not going to be the team that pays you the most because we've seen that because all the guys at the club are getting to high paid jobs elsewhere at the moment. And the other thing is that there's no guarantee that that's even going to work. Look, I mean, Chelsea, they've got Paul Winstanley, who was the guy doing all the recruitment at Brighton. They've got Joe Shields, who was the guy who was doing it all at Southampton. They tried to get in Lawrence Stewart from Monaco. And look at their transfer window since, okay, when Stanley joined in October 2022. It's almost been a year. Look at what's happened over the last year and compare that to the way Brian operate. Does it look anything the same? No, it doesn't. Exactly. And that 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 is kind of evidence of, of Brighton's um, overall approach, not really being reliant on individuals. And I think, uh, you know, whoever's kind of in charge there ends up looking good because everything is so efficient and sharp behind the scenes and well-organised. And then maybe, maybe it's a case of, like, since Liverpool won football, maybe FSG have, have lost a tiny bit of interest or something. I mean, I know there was a period where Mike Gordon drifted away for a little bit and he was kind of the man on the ground, wasn't he, at Anfield? So I don't know. It's an insist one to keep an eye on, but I think it's part of the reason why Liverpool are a little bit messy going into the end of the window here. And again, going back to this endo stuff, Obviously, we've touched on Endo, uh, what we expect from him and things like that. But in terms of what you would now do, because obviously this is about two weeks left, if that, um, I assume you would be unhappy if if Endo was the only midfield addition before the end of the window. I would, yes. Uh, I do think, like for all the reasons I said before, um, the, 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 the only way this transfer doesn't work out is if we ask him to do too much. I think that, or should I say, the easiest way for this transfer to not work out is yeah. for us to ask him to do too much. Um, so I think having him as a, an option and a, a voice within the, the squad, I feel like works better. In terms uh, of who who we target, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was going. I was going to say, if you got anyone in mind specifically, then like that. Uh, well, it's difficult because I think having him, who, like you say, having someone in the building who's first instinct is still to be the guy who sits, who kind of makes the job easier for everyone else, the defensive midfield presence. That does allow you space to target a guy who can play six and maybe develop their long-term, but has been playing up to this point more like a six-eight. So a Manu Kone, for example, uh, use of Fabana, for example. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, like there are people out there doing drinking games over when I mention him. So there you go, you're welcome. Um, but those are the kind of guys that I would still be looking at. As someone, I think, like I say, it gives having him in the building gives you the option to look for maybe more of the project six. So that maybe allows you to play someone who's got more quality overall and a higher ceiling rather than more looking for a specialist. Sheikh Takore for me would would be a really good sign. I think I'm happy with that one. I think I, I like the links. I don't like the price, obviously, but this is Liverpool's fault. Uh, yep. He was available last summer from Lens. He just had a good season there. 
for those who sign up to the newsletter, Dan Lasnoff with the newsletter, I, I, I remember referencing him as a possible alternative to Chiuamini. Um, but Liverpool didn't move, he went to Palace. I think they paid about 18 million for him. And now he's still got four years left on his contract. And now Liverpool won him. So the reason you're paying a lot is because you didn't move last summer. Um, but he's he's now got Premier League experience, still only 23. Uh, good size. He just I think he's just under six foot or something like that. Um, can be really progressive on the ball if you want him to, because he was like that in his final season in France. Less yeah. so for Palace in the Premier League, maybe a bit more of a functional role for him. I think he got their player of the season, actually, in his debut yeah. campaign. So, yeah, he, all round, he looks like a, a good player. I like I like the corner. I think if, if Liverpool can get him for the end of the window, because um, I think the actual, this midfield overhaul this summer, I think in terms of outgoings, I'm pretty happy. But in terms of incomings, we've got obviously still a lot to be desired. McAllister and Soboslai, very, very good. Endo, fine. If at the core he arrives with him, yeah. suddenly it looks a lot better. Suddenly that's, a good, win- suddenly that's a good window, I think. Uh, yeah. Probably probably still need a left-footed centre-back, to be honest. News has emerged today that Inacio is signing a new contract with Sporting, so he might be off the table. Well, so it'll be interesting to see if we do anything there. But... Yeah, I mean... It's a new contract, but it's a new contract with a slightly higher release clause. So it's still a contract, new contract with a release clause. Now, he wouldn't be the first person to sign a new deal with one team and then leave in the same window. So I wouldn't say it's completely out of the gate. But as with Decore, by the way, it's another situation where Liverpool have almost kind of waited trying to see if the price would go down. And in the end, the price has gone up. Yeah. It's it's perfect example of that, and this is this is the, the downsides of Liverpool's weird approach over the past couple of years, where we've got to a point where we only move if we can sign an absolute whale beater, and if we can't get a whale beater, we don't move. Um, bit of a curious approach. I don't know where it come from. It was never previously the approach, um, but we did it, and we missed out on the likes of Bruno Gimenez and Sheikh Decore, and now we're going to have to pay through the nose. Yeah, yeah, but if we. If we move for the core, as I said before the end of the window, I, I wouldn't rule out um, a really good season, to be honest. Because I think I, I don't think we're that far off. Um, we just need a few of those players who don't want the name up in lights. But against Bournemouth this weekend, we probably going to have to go again with McAllister at the six. I would assume unless Endo's going to come in immediately and just put the kit on straight away, which he, <laughs> which, which he could do. To be fair, no one he's like. Yeah. But uh, in terms of Bournemouth, just a very quick. Uh, what are you expecting? Because I, I, the reason I want to talk about this is because people are looking at Liverpool's start of the season and Bournemouth are getting viewed as the, that's the easy one, that's the banker. That Anfield's Bournemouth will be sound. It might be sound, we might beat them like 4-0, but I have a feeling this could be tough. I have, I think these are going to, I tipped them last week, didn't I, on the show, as having a good season. So I think this one could be a bit of a, a bit of a banana skin. I mean, they did beat us the last time they played us. We need to remember that. And yeah, yeah we should have at least got a draw because we missed a penalty. But Brightford, Bournemouth aren't going to have any fear factor. And yes, obviously, people will mention the last time they came to Anfield. But I think <laughs> they're a very different team to then. And I think that that will be an extra motivation for them to hold out. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I don't think there's going to be any easy 
games at this stage of the season. Even teams who are trying to figure it out and maybe not as fluent as they will be later on, they're going to have players who are going to give you new problems. They're going to have, particularly with this manager, uh, new tactics. I, I like Iriola. I think he's a very good signing for Bournemouth. Yeah. Even though I thought Gary O'Neill was also very good. Um, so they're going to be a different team with different tactics. And we are still getting used to ours. So I think an early goal, particularly two early goals, if I could be a little bit greedy, <laughs> would help settle us down. And maybe then it would become more of a routine match. But I can see this being a opening goal in a 67th minute kind of job. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons I want to flag it is because, like, obviously the state we're currently in with the transfer market after drawing the opening game. If we don't beat Bournemouth, that's, that, that would be one or two points after two games and the lad we are getting in to fix this six void is a 30-year-old at the minute. If we, you know, we might get the core further down the line, but the reason I'm saying this and, and kind of warning people ahead of time almost is because I think the, the outcry if we don't beat Bournemouth will just be horrendous. I can imagine how bad it's going to be, so... I want yeah. to flag that, like, listen, Bournemouth, I think are going to be a decent team this season. Uh, so oh, it won't be easy. Also, another thing to flag is two other games happening this weekend. Spurs against Man United and Newcastle against Man City. So teams we are fighting with will drop points this weekend. <laughs> That's all yeah. to remember. It's so, probably worth remembering as well that we are literally one game in. Yeah, well, isn't it? It's like there's loads that happen. But yeah, no. so it will feel bad. And it might put more pressure on the transfer deals. And it might mean that, for example, someone like Decore, um, Palace are going to be a bit more steadfast. I think, again, talking about waiting, um, the fact that Michael Elise may be now leaving, they've triggered a, Chelsea have triggered his release clause somehow. Um, that makes it, again, harder for us because, A, that means they're not necessarily needed any cash influx. They're not looking to sell. But also... They were looking to keep some of the good players there. They've got happy. So they can't sell all the good players because then everyone's going to start looking around. They probably don't yeah. want to get into that situation. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting time to be a Liverpool fan. There's lots going on. Um, lots is probably going to go on in the next few weeks. Um, and we'll be here to cover it. So, Moog, thanks for joining us, mate. No problem. No problem. Let's see how crazy things have been in the next seven days between your next sit down. Yeah, well, by the time we next appear on this podcast, anything could have happened, mate. Messi could be up front for Liverpool or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully he is, to be fair. But yeah, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.